This morning I'm continuing in a brief series of homilies focused on the elder brother and the well-known parable of the prodigal son. Once again, hear the text as it comes to us from Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed your command Yet you've never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord. Holy God, once again, we confess our complete dependency upon your Holy Spirit to help us find our own place in this sacred narrative that it may also become a story of your redemption in our lives as well. We ask it in the name of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The elder brother had finished another long, hard day of working in his father's fields. And as he came home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he was told that your father is celebrating over the return of your prodigal brother. Well, the elder brother then became angry and refused to go into the house. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But the elder son said, listen, for all these years I've worked for you like a slave and never disobeyed your commands, and you never even gave me a young goat. But when this son of yours, notice not my brother, when this son of yours returns home after devouring your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf and throw him a party. Listen, for all these years, I've worked for you like a slave. This does not sound like someone who finds joy and fulfillment in their work. No, it sounds like someone who is just committed to doing what they believe is right, to obeying the commands, to fulfilling expectations, no matter how unjoyful or unfulfilling that is. So when elder brothers hear about the extravagant grace of the father for the prodigal son, 
this one who was so irresponsible and who hurt the family. It's offensive. Remember, Jesus told this parable to the Jews, Jewish uh, Pharisees and to the scribes who were offended that Jesus welcomed sinners and ate with them. The Pharisees and the scribes and the elder brothers have a theological problem with this God revealed in Jesus Christ who forgives sins and gives us his own righteousness before God. And the reason they have that problem is that they were already righteous before they encountered Jesus. Even the Apostle Paul, when given his testimony, says, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless before he met Jesus. So when they hear all of our talk about the grace of God on those who were not pulling their weight, those who were so irresponsible, those who hurt the family, it's hard to understand or to make sense of the the justice in this. Now, I am not an elder brother. I'm daily confronted with my need for grace. But I spent much of my ministry serving congregations that had so many elder brothers in them and serving the school that is filled with elder brothers. <laughs> People who've done what is careful and right and responsible, who've worked hard to get where they are as a means of service. So I have an elder brother. Some of my best friends are elder brothers. <laughs> and I'm a little tired of the dumping on the elder brother. Because in every congregation, in every school, we depend on the faithfulness of the elder brothers and the Marthas, a very similar character in Scripture. Where would he be without these people? But so very often in our articulation of the gospel, we make very little room for those who have not squandered their lives in dissolute living like the prodigal. Now, this is a theological school. And we know that we are all sinners. Even the elders around us have learned to say that. And we know that when we come to the silent part in a prayer of confession, we all have plenty to say. We know that sin is sin, and it all separates us from God. Yes, that's right. But many of you will soon be making your way to congregations or to schools in which the pews and the chairs and the desk will be filled with people who, before they get there, are already frazzled because they've been trying so hard to do the right things. To do what is right in their work, in their studies, to do what is right with their family, with their commitments, with their volunteerism, to do what's right by the church, to do what's right in their commitments to their community, to do that which is just, to try to take their lives to be used for some approximation of the reign of Christ. And they are exhausted trying to do that which is right to the point that they also don't know much about joy or fulfillment. They know about doing what is right. 
and all the preaching about grace, which I've spent a lifetime doing, I watch them just cock their heads like confused dogs who can't quite make sense of what I'm saying. Or to bring it closer to home, it would be like having a very difficult class here, but you poured yourself into this class, you worked so hard that you had pretty sure you had earned an A in this class, and on the last day of the class, the professor breaks the rules and says, you know, I've decided it's all pass-fail. And all you got to do to pass is just show up and say, I'm sorry, I didn't work hard. <laughs> the dean is going to get some email about that. <laughs> now, grace is obviously far more complex than that, but that's what the elder brother hears. I've spent much of my ministry trying to convince the elder brother that he's also a sinner. But it's significant and striking to me that in the parable, the father does not do that. He doesn't try to collapse his two sons into one person because he knows that would make no sense to his elder son. And it's also significant that there is no condemnation for the elder brother in this parable. But at the end of it, he's just left outside of the celebration and the party and all the joy because that's where he thinks he needs to be. The Catholic theologian Karl Rahner wrote that there's more than one form of spirituality that has biblical warrant to it. He says in the scriptures we find what he calls both wintry and summery spirituality. Summary Christians like their faith hot. They know that they have been saved and they come to worship to give praise to the Savior. And they can feel the presence of God like the sun shining on their faces. Worship for them is essentially coming to enter into the celebration that the Father has prepared for the prodigal son. They love being there. But wintry Christians find that their faith can't handle that kind of heat. And so they move to the margins of all of this celebration and praise. They prefer to join the elder brother back out along the fields. And they're driven there because they have really pressing, difficult questions with God. Questions about justice and the abundant injustice that they see. This is a lonelier, soul-searching expression of faith. Summary Christians love praise courses. They love hymns that boldly proclaim what the God of grace and God of glory. Wintry Christians prefer their hymns in minor keys. Now, Rahner's point is that the Bible makes room for both of these forms of spirituality. Summary Christians, like Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Wintry Christians prefer Psalm 22. 
My God, why? Why? They don't understand how there is tragedy in their good and carefully constructed lives. They don't understand how there is so much tragedy in the world that God so loves. And they don't understand why there's so little joy and fulfillment when they have done all that was commanded of them. Why? 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 By contrast, the summary Christian's favorite question is where? Where do I worship? Where do you want me to be of service, O oh God? I will go. I'm so grateful. I'll go anywhere. I'm just trying to discern your will. Where? 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 Now, the wintry Christian would love to tell the summary Christian where to go. <laughs> but they never talk to each other, which is Ronner's concern. God created all of the seasons. And even a particular individual can move from summer to winter, or winter back to summer, and it's confusing either way. So let the church be sure to make room for at least both of these kinds of spiritualities, if not for the many others that God brings to them. The spirituality of the prodigal who has to sing, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And the spirituality of the elder brother who is confused, not angry about what God has done and left undone. I'm going to continue over the next couple of weeks to look at the spirituality of the elders, the, the Marthas. But finally today, it's incredibly significant to me that in this story, the father does not wait in the celebration and the party for the elder to finally decide to come in and join it. No, the father leaves in search of his elder son. And he goes and he finds him and he listens to his anger. This is all that the elder brother asked for. Listen. He listens to his son's anger and his protest. And he is with him even on the margins. As I read this story, what the father wants is for both of his sons to enter the embrace. But these two sons are gonna take very different paths and make very different choices if they're gonna get there. But the outstretched arms are always waiting for all of us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.